It's good to see you guys. You know, for some of you, you might remember me, and that was when there was church on the outside. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because, you know, I'm still, I'll be honest with you, I'm still getting used to, like, church on a Saturday. Um, and it's funny because, you know, I'm a, I'm, I come from, I'm a football family, okay? Uh, played college football, was a college football coach for a number of years before going into ministry. And so I'm just going to confess this. Uh, the last time I preached, it was kind of, no, the last time I preached, it was raining that day. Uh, so we did the videotape, but the time before, uh, they had outside in the park a lot. And my sons, while they were there at the time, they were younger, obviously. Uh, so this was, I think during the pandemic, so it was about 2020, so oldest sons in high school. And, you know, I was like, Hey guys, you know, how was the sermon? It's like, I, I don't know, dad, we were too busy watching the Auburn LSU game, you know, and. <laughs> And, and instead of getting upset, I said, what's the score? And so it's kind of messed up. I'm an Auburn grad, so, you know, I'm, anytime Auburn plays, I'm always uh, doing that on Saturdays. It's kind of shifted now that my eldest son is in college, and he's doing his thing in, in college ball now, and my youngest is, is a, a junior in high school, so he's doing his thing. And, and so it's interesting. But, no, it's, but seriously, it's always a pleasure just getting a chance to worship with you guys and be with you guys. I've, I've known Pastor Rob now for, golly, I'm, I'm just doing the math in my head. And it's been a good minute. And, and one thing you know about Pastor Rob is he knows everybody. Like, you know, like when I met Derek, you know, we're always at Coastal. And so, like, anytime we're at Coastal, we're going to interrupt our conversation because there's somebody that we run into that we see. And it's, hey, how you doing? And, and love and all that stuff. And so um, before we get started, let's, let's just pray real quick. And then we're going to dive into the text and uh, see where the Lord has us at today. So, Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now thanking you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy, uh, for the opportunity to gather together today, be here on a Saturday evening in this weather, and it's, it's hot, but your grace is better. Um, sometimes we, we always wonder what's going on, but your grace is better. And so, God, I just pray that in our time together, that our hearts be good ground, uh, Lord, that our hearts will be a place where the seed of your work and dig in, dive in, take root, and grow for your glory and our good, God. So I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So yeah, it's interesting because I'm, I'm thinking back and I'm like, you know, as we plan it, we're a two-year-old church plant, but our, well, we'll hit two years this year and our roots actually started during 2020. And it's like, who in the right mind would plant a church in the middle of a pandemic? this guy. Um, but God is gracious. And so what you guys don't know about what you guys is, you guys are a support church for us um, just by prayer and presence. Uh, you, you know, Rob is one of my uh, just big brothers in ministry helping me uh, just as a, as a pastor and early in the stage, just encouraging me and uh, just walking alongside. So um, I'm just thankful for him and for you guys as co-laborers in the gospel. And so, you know, I, I've, I've heard that you guys are on this series in Matthew, which is kind of cool because we're in Matthew right now. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and so we're going to break out the years, but, but we're not going to be there. But we're, we're in Matthew chapter 13, so I, I hope you have your Bibles. If, if you got them, I, I hope you do, or if you got them on your phone or, or whatever, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, verses 53 through 58. Um, I believe it'll also be on the screen if you don't have it. And so, Let's go ahead and read uh, today's message. I'm, one of the things you'll, you'll hopefully appreciate is uh, 
I'll probably be shorter today. It's always good. If you're the guest preacher, you want to be shorter, not longer. And so that's how you get invited back. <laughs> but uh, let's go ahead and, and, and read uh, the passage for the day. So start with verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he left there. He went to his hometown and began to teach them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, aren't they all with us? So where does he get all these things? And they were offended by him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his household. And he did not do many miracles because of their unbelief. Now, if we were to take this passage in isolation, there's a lot to unpack, and we're going to dive in. But, but to get this larger picture and this larger context, I, I got, we got to back it up a little bit. I'm going to give you the Mach 3 version of the recap because it helps us make sense about Jesus being in his hometown. You see, in chapter 2, we see that Jesus, with his parents, returned to Nazareth a couple years after he was born, came from Egypt because King Herod wanted to kill him. And now Herod has died. It's all about in chapter 2. And so his family would return to Nazareth. And so this is where he would grow up. So when we talk about him returning home, he is returning to Nazareth. And, and so as we put our minds and wrap our minds around our hometown, that was his hometown. So think about it. What was it? What if, if this was your case and your story, your situation, where's your hometown? But here is Nazareth. The next time we see Jesus, we see him in chapter 3, and Jesus is an adult. So we see him returns a baby. Now in chapter 3, he's an adult. And in chapter 4, uh, he is, well, in chapter 3, he is baptized. In chapter 4, he's tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And after his temptation, in overcoming that temptation, he now begins his ministry. And then he, at that time in between chapter 4 to where we are in the text, Jesus is, calls his disciples, right? He gets his 12. He goes on teaching and preaching and healing and this ministry proclaiming in word and deed that he is the Messiah. That Jesus is the king who came to save the world, right? And so he's letting them know the king is here. I don't know if you ever watched Ali or some of the movies, and I'm a big movie junkie, and, you know, in, in the scene in the movie Ali and Will Smith plays Muhammad Ali, and he basically says, the champ is here. This is what Jesus is doing. He is proclaiming that the king is here. Now, you would think, though, he's home. He's returning home, and, and we see that, that, that as he's returning home, his welcome isn't as warm as we would think it would be. In fact, it is just the opposite of warmth. And so if there was a main point for today's message for us to think about uh, the text is, is this. When we get too familiar with Jesus, we will miss him for who he really is. If we get too familiar with Jesus, we will miss him for who he really is. Now, what do you mean by that? It's a simple way of saying that familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. Why is that the case? Well, I think as we go through this text, as we dive in our time together today, I think there are some three things that will help us understand why does familiarity breed contempt and what happens as a result of it. The first thing that we see in the text is that familiarity cre creates these false boundaries of identity. Check out the first uh, two passages, and I'm just going to go to 55 because we see it in, well, let me go to 
part of 54, they ask, right, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? So Jesus is doing something that they see, and they're like, whoa, where did that come from? Then they say in verse 55, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? See, we see here that Jesus comes home, and, and, and to be honest with you, we don't know why Jesus comes home. You know, we like the idea to think that, hey, we're going to travel, and we like to return home, and there is some speculation by, by biblical scholars. We, we see that maybe he came home at the request of, of his mother Mary and his brothers. We see that in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 47. Tell them to come, they wanted to speak to him. And Jesus is like, well, who is my mother and my brothers and those things? And it's interesting because if you go back to that passage, right, like the text doesn't mention Joseph. And so we understand that Joseph was probably dead at the time when this takes place. And so um, some biblical scholars would say that, that, that Joseph died when Jesus was around 14 if they try to do the math, right? So, so if that's the case, maybe Mary and his brothers are coming to talk some sense into him, like, all right, Jesus, this ministry thing is cool and all, but you need to come home, run the family business, and take care of your siblings and your mother, right? Why? Because, like, that was the, the cultural norm. When the father died, the eldest son took care of the family. But either way, Jesus comes home, and right, he's staying home with mom and, and his brothers and siblings. I, I kind of understand that's a weird dynamic. We understand, I understand that now more than I, when my, my eldest son left for college, right, um, I, I, I tried to put on the hard face, and then my, my wife, she was just boo-hooing. I drove him up to campus, helped him get, uh, get him situated, because he had to re report for, for, for summer conditioning and everything, and I, I shed the tear in my car, in my, in my truck on the way back, and, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to cry, and, but I, I, shed, I shed the tear, and I drive, I'm driving back, and then we actually drove up for his birthday because that was his first birthday away from us. So we drove up there to spend time for his birthday. And so we understand the dynamic, but then something happened. He had time off and came home. And at that point in time, because he was doing something different and the dynamic was different, I was like, dude, when are you going back? It's like, okay, this is all fine and dandy now. And there was this tension of life is no longer the same. Well, guess what? When Jesus was baptized and started his ministry, life was no longer the same. So I can understand that there's this tension probably wrestling in the house. Mary telling Jesus, when are you going to get a real job, son? Now, we don't say that in the text, but, you, you, you know, you can just speculate some of the dialogue, you know, what's going on. But, but what Jesus does as he returns home is he's still ministry-minded, right? Like, he is proclaiming the kingdom of God. He is preaching, he is teaching, and he is performing miracles. And so you would think, right, that the people will respond well. But how do the people respond? The response is not based on what he's doing, per se. Like, if you saw someone preaching and teaching and doing miracles, you'd be like, oh, that's awesome, like, Yo, you know this guy, Jesus? Like, he's really cool. You need to check him out. But here's the problem. The problem is what he was doing didn't represent the box that they had to put him in. Look at the question they ask. Isn't this the carpenter's son? In other words, what in the world is he doing that he's doing this? What he's supposed to be doing doesn't match what he is doing. And so it implies two things. I think the first part is, because they're saying, isn't this the carpenter's son? He is the son of the carpenter. And 
in Jewish culture, as a carpenter's son, he would learn the trade of his father. And so that's why we say Jesus was a carpenter, because by trade, he learned the trade of his earthly father, uh, Joseph. But there's another thing. And this question that he asked kind of digs a little deeper that I think we dive into, and it, it, it could trigger some things, and it's that he's operating outside of his lane. Stay in your lane. You're the carpenter's son. Stay in your lane. See, if the family business is carpentry, that's cool. He, but he needs to stick to the family business and not dabble in theology. In other words, if you were the son of a priest and you learned the family business, good. But how dare you, as the carpenter's son, all of a sudden now proclaim things outside of your lane? If there was a cultural way of saying it in today's lexicon, it is a backhanded way of saying, shut up and dribble. Do your job. Stay in your lane. But it's funny because it's interesting that, that because people knew the family, right? They were familiar with the family. They knew, the, they knew his mama. Jesus, I know your mama. I know your brothers and, and your sisters, right? And as a result, they think that they know Jesus. And as such, they will place parameters on who someone should be. Now, I can definitely understand this. You know, it's interesting when I look at my journey. Like, I, my journey is one that's, that's basically what happens when you tell God no. That's really what it is. I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. It's, why? Because I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to go to ministry. I was a football coach. I was probably getting ready for fall camp right now. Getting ready, whether it be at a Division I Power 5 school or, or an NFL. Like, that was, the, that was the job. That was the project that I had. That was the destiny that I had written for myself. But you know, you ever heard the story that if you ever want to uh, make God laugh, just tell him your plans? God's telling these plans. But the thing is, ever since I was a little kid, right, I was always involved in football. So everybody in my family kind of knew me. Football, football. Football. Even my own relatives, they call me coach. You know, it's kind of like, hey, aunt. hey, coach, how you doing? Hey, I'm coach. And it's always about football. And it's like, I'm more than the game that I play. I am more than the game that I coach. And honestly, it was an opportunity for me to get to know Jesus and then for him to wreck my plans and do a trajectory of life that I never would have understood. Like, I was not supposed to be here at Charleston Southern when I first moved here. I was going to be here one year and then keep it moving on the profession. I'm now 15 years in Charleston. Family, I got family ties here because my dad's originally from the area. And so, you know, it's interesting because we all put people in a box. We all put people in a box, not necessarily, maybe not necessarily because of a career or a favor, but maybe it's because of who you're related to. Aren't you so-and-so's son or daughter? Like, I've had some of the weirdest things happen to me. Like, one time, I'm in Bilo. This is where the grocery store and out there in Goose Creek. And I, this random lady comes up to me and was like, looks at me, and she's like here, and she's looking up at me, and she's like, hey, aren't you Wesley's son? And I'm like, hold up, time out. First of all, anybody who calls my, says Wesley, they must be related to me because nobody calls my dad Wesley but family. So it's always this parameter, right? There's always guidelines of being related to so-and-so or being so-and-so's brother and sister. I'm wrestling with that as a parent now between my oldest son and my youngest son. My eldest son is Mr. Everything. He was Mr. Everything in his high school. If you're talking about senior class, like when you talk about Mr. Literally, he was literally Mr. Kane Bay. 
senior class vice president, captain of the football team, named to the North-South All-Star team, signs Division I football, like, like state track champion, like all the Ag- National Honor Society, National, like all these different things. He was the quintessential high school kid. But then he has a younger brother who in his own right is, is bound to do some really cool things, but the thing is he's stuck under the shadow of his brother. Aren't you so-and-so's brother? like, no, I got a name. My oldest son's name Caleb, and Caleb and my youngest son's Joshua. He's like, I'm not Caleb, I'm Joshua. So this, these, how people put us in boxes and create expectations are very real. And I would dare say that some of us have been brought in that same way. Why? Because of familiarity. But here's the cool thing. See, they saw Jesus based on his earthly lineage. But Jesus had a different mission because he has an eternal lineage outlined by God the Father. And so while people thought they knew Jesus, they didn't really know him. They knew who he was, but they didn't know him based on how God defined him. Instead of they were defining him on their familiarity within their culture and world. Why don't we look at it back like this? In Matthew 3, now I'm just going to read verse 17. This is when Jesus got baptized. This is, where, this is what kept Jesus focused, was his identity in him. It said this, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is what God said about Jesus. And sometimes people will create a false identity based on what they think they know about you. And then they try to establish these boundaries in which you are to live. So people are going to put you in a box and then expect you to live based on what they view you to live be. Isn't that some crazy stuff? But if it happened to Jesus, how much more can we expect it to happen to us? But when you are called by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can live and we are to live based on what Christ has called you. So guess what, y'all? If, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to remind you that your identity and your value and worth is not based on the world. It's based on how Jesus sees you. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to understand your value and worth and dignity is not based on how the world sees you, but how Jesus sees you. And it is an absolute game changer. See, what happens is that this is bigger than anything that people can place on you. The expectations that people place on you in reality are false boundaries. And and it is God who is the one who establishes and determines our purpose, which is to glorify him in every area of our lives. So this leads to the second idea. If the first idea creates false boundaries, the second thing is that familiarity creates or it facilitates rejection when those false boundaries are crossed. It creates rejection. How do we know that? Well, when we look at verse um, 56 and 57, so they start off the question, so where does he get all these things? And they were offended by him. Jesus said to him, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his household. See, it's interesting because Jesus is operating like outside of these bounds, right? And, and, and these bounds that are established by people. And it's interesting, whenever you decide to step out of boxes that people create for you, people start to act really funny. Who do you think you are? So the offense is really a rejection of, no, get back in your lane. Because you're not where you're supposed to be. And so what, what the funny thing is, is like, 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 really think about this, though, right? Because Jesus doesn't fit into their idea of what 
he's supposed to look like. And even their family doesn't, like the family doesn't even have these expectations. They, they've got their own expectations. And look at, look at this and, and look at the response. Like, like they were not excited. Like, like really think about this. They weren't excited. It wasn't like, man, yo, we got a prophet from Nazareth right here. Like there's like a verse about, does anything good come out of Nazareth? You would be like, if you were living in an area, right, where nothing good happens, it's kind of just regular, uh, whatever you want to call it in, in our discourse, whatever. And you got somebody that stands up from amongst the people to do great things. Normally, there's some pride. Like, that's, I'm related to so-and-so, man. Don't you know, so-and-so's my cousin. You know, that's my friend, man. We went to Nazareth Elementary School together. We went to Nazareth Daycare together. We went to Nazareth High School. Those places did not exist. But you get my drift. There should be some excitement because Jesus is like, yo, man, I know Jesus. You would think that somebody would be like, man, we're back on the map. Like, you would think that there would be some excitement because of what Jesus was doing. You would think there would be regional pride because of what was, have you watched the news, right? And when somebody from the area does something well, it gets highlighted. Regardless of the industry, you would think that would be the case here, but it wasn't. In fact, it was just offense and rejection. And we know that based on how, first it says that they were offended by him, so they rejected him. But look how Jesus responds. And, and Jesus is interesting because we don't look at it this way, but Jesus is actually throwing some shade back at him. But it points to something deeper. See, when Jesus is saying about a prophet being uh, welcome in his own hometown, what he is saying is he's aligning himself with the Old Testament prophets, right? And the Old Testament prophets, you know, we think about prophets in today's world. It's a little bit different. It's kind of crazy. But, but the Old Testament prophets were not people that people look forward to listening to. Because Old Testament prophets were like, you're messing up, thus saith the Lord, correct, or you're going to get wrecked. Okay, to quote Ice Cube, the prophets were to say, based on what God says, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Okay, but, but, what, what happens here is that even when the prophets were that guy, right, they could come home and get love. And Jesus is saying, man, I am a greater prophet. I am a greater one coming to declare God's message because I can't even get honor in my own hometown, and I can't get honor in his own family. Like, think about that. Like, his family thought he was nuts. How many of you have a crazy relative? Okay, if you're not raising your hand, I hate to tell you, you are the crazy relative. Okay? I know that because I'm the crazy relative. But think about this. Like, his whole family thinks it was nuts. How do we know that? John 7 and 5, it says, for even his brother's for not even his brothers believed in him. So his own family were like, oh, there go Jesus, thinking he's holy again. Like, it's, like, we think about this stuff here, and it's crazy. Because Jesus is the one who, who you think about all the miracles that he's done. The proclaiming of, of the kingdom of God being here, that salvation is coming. And his own family, who's seen Jesus living, like, Jesus never gave his mom the side eye. Jesus never cussed out his dad. Jesus honored his family. Jesus was respectful. Jesus did all these things. He knew the, uh, the king. When, and when you read one of the other gospels, when he said he was in the temple, and his parents thought he lost him, and he's in the temple preaching, they knew these things. And still, they didn't believe in him. See, so what we see is that familiarity creates these false boundaries, right? 
And familiarity will facilitate rejection when these boundaries are crossed, but there's an, an end result of that, and is that familiarity blinds us from seeing God's activity around us. How do we know that? Verse 58. And he did not do any, many miracles there because of their unbelief. You see, when our hearts are hardened to what God is doing, we miss his activity around us. God is always at work. Let me tell you something. You are a walking, talking, breathing miracle. Just the mathematical chance for you to be you here in this place, in this moment of time, is a miracle. It is not by chance. But when our hearts are hardened to what God is doing, we miss his activity. And the problem with being familiar is that we take it God for granted. When we were worshiping this morning, not this morning, I'm sorry, this afternoon in our, pre, our pre-time, and even now, right, I was praying right during the service, and I was praying, I was like, God, don't let me get familiar with you. When I first started, I've been in ministry now for about 13 years, okay? And I remember when I first started preaching, I used to get nervous. I used to get nervous. And, but what I learned about that nervousness is it caused me to be dependent on God. Like, God, if you don't do this, I'm just going to totally mess it up. And one person said, man, you look really nervous. Now, when I started preaching, it was, it was on and popping. But what ended up happening was, was that one person said, it's good if you're nervous. And I knew that in coaching. And an athlete, for, whether it was an athlete playing or coaching, it did not matter I always got nervous before I competed. And I always got nervous before I preached. But then I, there came a point in time, even in my own time in ministry, because I was preaching every Sunday, I had to prep a message every Sunday and everything else, that all of a sudden the nerves weren't there anymore. And I'm like, whoa, that's a red flag. Because now what's happening is I'm becoming familiar with God. And instead of relying upon him for the words to do and say and, 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 and relying on his power, I'm relying on my own skills and abilities. Familiarity is something that all of us can do. And here's what I learned even more so as a church planner. And my wife actually convicted me about this because I'm so busy trying to get through Sunday to Sunday that I miss the wins and what God is doing in the lives of people around me. That's what familiarity can do. Familiarity can make God's activity business as usual instead of the miracle that it is. And that God is at work. And that God is still doing great things and miracles and transforming us, bringing us from death to life and all these things. We cannot get familiar with God. And, 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 it, and, and that familiarity can harden our hearts. And so we see here that Jesus just doesn't do many miracles. Not because he doesn't want to, but because of their unbelief. And so in other words, the lack of miracles was directly connected to their lack of faith. Nothing more nothing less. It'd be easy for him to say, Yo, okay, y'all don't want to believe me? All right, bet. Here, miracle. Boom. And people are like, oh, I believe now, but can you believe God in the stillness of life? Can you believe God in the middle of a storm instead of when you're getting out of the storm? Can you believe God when everything seems like it's all going to turn out bad? 
And that's what makes this story so sad, right? Like, it makes it sad on so many levels. Think about this. Like, Jesus comes home. And here's the thing about it. He's coming home not just to his neighbor, but he's coming home to people he knows and loves. Like, if there's any place where you would feel like you would lay your heart and it's received well and it's, everything's good, it's like, man, if anybody believes in anybody, it'd be home, right? It'd be your neighbors that you grew up with. It'd be your friends and the people, your community. It should be there, but it wasn't. And so could you imagine his heartbreak in knowing that nobody in his community, right, not even his friends, not in his family, would, ha- would believe in him and on him? Like, it's one thing if, if we were to come to a place and you preach the gospel and nobody responds and everybody's upset, and it's like, well, I expected that here. Like, if I were to go preach the gospel in this state, this godless state, and nobody, you know, name it whatever you want to name it, where you, where you at, and you'd be like, I go over there and do ministry, I expect people to reject me there, but I know when I come home, I'm going to get love. But it was just the opposite. That people responded out there, but in home, at home, they rejected him. And so what ends up happening is they actually fulfill the prophecy, right, of hearing but not understanding. You guys covered it in Matthew chapter 13 earlier, verses 14 and 15. I'm not going to go there. And so the saddest thing happens is they miss God right in from God is right there. Like how many times do people we say, God, give me a sign, right? God, if you're real, show me. God, give me confirmation. No, God in the flesh is standing right before them, and they rejected him. How messed up is that? How messed up is that for us? So as we land this plane, we're going to try to think about this. What is our next step then? I think the first thing we need to understand is we need to check ourselves on how we see Jesus. We need to check ourselves on how we see We cannot afford to get familiar with Jesus now. I don't know about some of you. I know there's, you know, when people go to malls, they had the regular, the stores, the kind of the pop teen stores, and they had the t-shirt. I think it was like this, and it's like, Jesus is my homeboy. And it's like, is Jesus my friend? Yes. Does he desire a close and personal relationship with him? Yes. Is my relationship with Jesus deeply uh, personal and relational with him? Yes, but here's the problem. When we reduce Jesus to only being our homeboy, we miss seeing him for who he truly is, and that is king. And as king, our relationship with Jesus is not just personal, but it's also being a part of a community of kingdom citizens living under his rule and for his agenda and his glory where we live, work, and play. Like God cares about all this. Jesus cares about all this. In other words, watch this. In other words, how we see Jesus should lead to worship and not adapt. It should lead to worship. And the beauty is, is that when we see Jesus as king and we live accordingly under his lordship, that means his rule, that he is the boss, we have access to the resources of God's kingdom, including seeing the glory and power of God demonstrated in and through our lives and the lives of others. Your life is and can be and will be a testimony when you submit it under Jesus' rule. That sounds a little heavy there, so I want to end it on a good note. I went in on a good note because it's, it's easy to see here, man, I'm reading this text. 
Like, he just lays it heavy. The preacher's like, man, I'm leaving it heavy. And like, where's the hope in this? Now, I want to share you with this hope is because the beautiful thing about this story, right, is that the story doesn't end here. Even Jesus' own family would reject him, but the story doesn't end with this passage. The Bible doesn't end here. Here's where it goes. See, something happens between this passage in Matthew and, and the end of the story that is the crucifixion and the resurrection and Jesus returning, right? And we actually have two books. There's actually more because if you go through Acts and, and some of the other epistles, but there are two books in the New Testament that attested this, and that is James and Jude. James was one of the brothers mentioned in verse 55. Jude, also known as Judas, is one of the names mentioned in verse 55. They were amongst those brothers who did not believe him in John that we talked about earlier. But something happened, and it's that they saw the resurrected Jesus. We see that in Acts, I think, Acts chapter uh, 1 or chapter 4. They see Jesus resurrected, and they go from people who were skeptics to leading his church. They go from people to say, there goes Jesus, thinking he all holy, to I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they see him in such a way that now they're serving his church, and now they are leaders in the church of Jerusalem. They may not have believed at the point where we are in the text. They may have missed the miracles in Nazareth, but they did not miss the miracle on Calvary. They saw the resurrected Lord and believed. And here's the thing, family, as long as we see the resurrection, we know that Jesus is more than our friend, that Jesus is the king of glory, and that that is the greatest miracle that we can witness and that we can participate in through faith in him and him alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good and your mercy endures forever. We thank you, God, that, that the story doesn't end in disbelief, but in a resurrection that shows that even you can turn our hard hearts and turn it towards you, God. And so our prayer is that, God, where there is familiarity, you bring us to a point of worship. Where there is content, uh, bring us to a place of worship. That our hearts will be formed and drawn to you, God, so that we can see your goodness and your glory demonstrated in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.